Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillervillechurch.org. The following podcast is available on SoundCloud, Millerville Church, and subscribe to us on iTunes under Podcasts. Look for Religion and Spirituality and Millerville Community Church. And now, here's a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Hey, good morning. And welcome to Millerville Community Church. My name is Beth Schmidt, and we have a huge crowd here today. But hopefully online you're able to watch this. So uh, we have a new term called social distancing. We haven't had that term before. And uh, it's kind of an oxymoron. Social, meaning come together, and distancing, meaning get apart. So uh, that's our new oxymoron for the for this year. Hopefully we won't have to use it for too long, but um, we do care about one another, and so we practice it in order to keep us as healthy as we possibly can. Um, but I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about what it is to be socially distant as opposed to sort of the next level where we come up and we give a handshake. And you've probably done that. You're used to giving a handshake, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to do that right now. Or the next step, the next level, is actually embracing. And we're going to talk about Jacob and how he had to learn how to go from social distance with God to embracing God. So um, let's, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the things that you teach us in your word and how you use your word in our lives to help us to understand you, to know you, to draw closer to you. And Lord, as we look at Jacob's life, I would just pray that um, we would have a, a more full, more robust understanding of what your covenant is with us. And we would ask that our lives would be changed as we grow closer in intimacy with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're following along in your Bibles, I'm going to be looking from Genesis 28 all the way through to Genesis 31. And we as a congregation have been looking at covenant and God's covenant with us. So we've been looking right from the beginning of creation, God's covenant with Adam and Eve, and overall creation to sustain and keep it. And we moved into um, the covenant with Noah after the flood that God never again would flood the earth, destroy the earth with a flood as he did in Noah's day. And then we moved into the covenant with Abraham where we see that God made personal covenant with Abraham, the man. 
And he called Abraham out of the land of Ur, which is east of where he was taking him to. And he says, I'm going to take you to a land. And you just take these steps. Abraham had no idea where he was going. But he followed God's leading, and it led him to what was the promised land, what became the promised land. So um, Abraham's family actually came with him. And they settled in a place called Paddan Aram, which is really Haran in Abraham's day. It later became known as Aram um, much later. So uh, they came with him, but that's as far as they got. And that's way up in the north country. And God said, okay, you're going to leave your father, Terah, and you're going to keep going south to the land that I will show you. And God took him down to what we know today as Israel, the promised land. And so uh, God was faithful to Abraham. He said, even though Abraham didn't have children, he said, I will bless you and you will have a child. And you're going to have a child with Sarah, not just a child with some other woman. And so it was when they were far beyond childbearing years that Abraham and Sarah had their son Isaac. And God said, I'm, he made a covenant with Abraham and he said, I will bless you. And I will bless all the families of the earth around you through the seed. And the seed, we learn later, really referred to Jesus Christ. And so all of the earth is blessed through Jesus Christ. And that promise was given just to this man, to Abraham. And to his um, wife, Sarah, they had a child, Isaac. And from Isaac, we have Jacob. And that's where we are today. So Isaac married Rebecca. Rebecca was from his um, father's family, which had settled up in Padan Haram, um, in Haran. And that's where he got his wife, Rebecca. And, you know, we followed the life of Isaac. God renewed that covenant. We call it ratified. He ratified the Abrahamic covenant with Isaac, his son. And then Isaac um, subsequently when he married Rebecca, had the children Esau and Jacob. And we saw in the past where Esau um, despised his birthright. He didn't care. He was a man of the field. He liked to do his thing. He was not really interested in the responsibility that went with the birthright, having to be a priest to his family. That wasn't a thing that he wanted to do. And so he sold his birthright for a pot of stew. And... um, We know that story quite well, I'm sure. So he sold his birthright, and later, um, when they got older, and Isaac decided to bless his oldest, Esau. Esau was the first out of the womb, even though they were twins. He wanted to bless Esau. And because of the deception of Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, Jacob was blessed instead of Esau. They deceived Isaac. And, um, of course, Esau, the response when Esau came and he found out that his father had given the blessing to his brother, he was so angry that he was ready to kill Jacob. And he said, when dad's gone, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so that was his plan. And his mother took it very seriously. She overheard this conversation. And she took it very seriously. And so she decided to go to Isaac. And she said to Isaac, we got to get Jacob out of here. But she didn't say it that way. She said it in a different way. She said, you know, Esau's married these Canaanite women. And they're giving us all this grief, which, of course, they were. And uh, we better find a wife for Jacob, just like your dad sent 
Eliezer up to get a wife for you. Let's send our little Jacob up, and he'll get a, uh, he'll get a new wife, a wife from up in Paddan Haram. So Isaac thought that was a good idea, and that brings us to chapter 28 in the story. And so Isaac blessed Jacob, and he said, Go up to your mother's brother, go up to my father's relatives, and there you're going to find a wife. And so, uh, you know, Jacob, he's not totally thrilled with this, but he knows he's in trouble. Rebecca said to him, his mom said to him, you're going to be killed if you stay here, so you need to get out of here. And I talked to your dad, and he's going to send you up to find a wife up with my relatives, and all will be good, and in a few days you'll be back. And Jacob looks at his mom and he says, Mom, it's at least a month's journey up there. It's not going to be a few days. But Rebecca's firm on this, and she said, Go up and get a wife from my father's family. So Jacob sets out on his way. And uh, as he heads up, so he's leaving. He had it made before all this happened. He had blessing. He lived in his father's household. Isaac was superlatively rich. He had many, many flocks and herds. Wealth was no issue for them. They had lots. They had lots of servants. Everything was good with his mom and his dad. Not so good with Esau, but then that's his brother, and who cares? But everything else is quite good. And he had it made. And he's actually living under the blessing of God there because God was blessing Isaac. And now he's being sent away. And he's not going with an entourage like Eliezer did when he went up. He's going just by himself. So he's going without stuff. And he's heading up and he's basically in flight. And so he heads up with nothing. He doesn't have a tent and a sleeping bag. And so that night, that first night that he lays down, he's thinking, well, here's a nice rock. I'll just lay on this rock for the night. Sounds comfortable to me. So he lays on this rock for the night, and there he is. And so he's asleep. And I think we need to understand how God uses this idea of rock. It's a metaphor. And we see it many times throughout the story of Israel is the rock. And later we learn, you know, Jesus actually is our rock. We learn that in the Psalms. And so he takes this rock and he puts it down as a pillow, comfortable, nice, soft, squishy rock is going to be his pillow for the night. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and he has that dream. And it's the ladder dream. And we talked about that last time. And so he, he dreamt this and this ladder is going from heaven down to earth. And the angels are going up and down this ladder and God is at the top of the ladder. And he makes this promise to Jacob in chapter 28, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, meaning the ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That was the Abrahamic covenant, and God was speaking it to Jacob. God did not speak this to everyone. And so he spoke it to Isaac, and he spoke it to Abraham. And now he's speaking it to Jacob. What a privilege. And yet, Jacob doesn't really seem to get it, because that's where he took the stone. He will, Of course, he's awake now. And he takes that rock that was under his head, and he puts it up on some others, and he kind of makes a little pillar out of it, and he pours oil over it, and it becomes an altar. And he says to the Lord, now we see the real Jacob coming out. Because now he makes a deal. God made no deal. He set no conditions on Jacob. Yet Jacob is hearing that there is a deal in his head. That's what he hears. And so he says to God, well, if you'll keep me and you'll clothe me and you'll feed me and you'll give me a place to sleep and um, you keep me on this journey, then when I get back here, then I will make you my God. And so he makes a deal with God. God never was looking for a deal. But Jacob, because that's his way of thinking, decides to turn it into something conditional. And he says, and furthermore, if you do this, from everything you give me, I'll give you back a tenth. And so that's his deal. And you know, really, it's not a lot different than how we can be. We can do the same kind of dealing with God. God is ready to love, to cherish us, and he does love and cherish us. It's unconditional. It's not conditional on our performance or our good behavior. God says, I love you, and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in order that we might have eternal life. But do we believe that? So many times... We make it conditional. Well, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. I'll serve you. I'll tell other people about you. So we make these deals. You know, I'm really faithful. I give money to the church. I do this. I do this for charities. I do all these good works. Surely, if there's a God in heaven, he won't cast me out because of what I have accomplished for him. And that's kind of our thinking. It totally was Jacob's thinking. And so Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the sons of the east, it says in chapter 29. And what that means is this family group from Ur, which is east near Babylon, came up and they settled in Haran. So he's still going up to Haran, but it's the families of the east. So it's sort of like he had these directions from his mom. Just go, son, just a month. You go in this direction. Don't go to the left or the right. Just go in this direction for a month. In a month, you'll see these huts with points on the top. And you know you've gotten to the settlement area. And then look for some different kinds of tents, and you know that that's your, your family. And so he's gone about a month of walking, and he gets to the pointy tents. And he says, oh, whew, this must be Haran. And he starts to ask around. And so he sees the well, and the well is sort of like the meeting place for all the people. And so he goes to the well, and he says, tell me, do you guys know this guy named Laban? And one of the fellows says, oh, yeah, we know him. 
And then Jacob says, well, like, what are you doing sitting around? It's the middle of the day. You should be out with your flocks out on the field, not here. And he says, well, we can't water our flocks until everybody's here. And in fact, here comes Laban's daughter, Rachel. And as soon as she gets here, then we're all gathered together and we'll open up the well and then we'll water all of our flocks and then we can go back to our jobs. So Jacob, when he sees Rachel coming, he pulls the big stone off of the well and and he waters the flocks and he waters her flock as well. And he says to her, I understand you're from Laban's family. She says, oh yeah, that's my dad. And he says, well, I'm like from your family. My mom and your dad are brother-sister. And she goes, really? Wow, where are you from? And he says, oh, you know, about a month south of here. And she says, oh, well, I'll go tell dad. And she takes off and she goes and she tells Laban. And Laban says to his daughter when she gets there, he says, Rachel, that's our relative. Why didn't you bring him home? So Laban goes running out because Laban knows that this is from Abraham's family. And he knows what's happened to Rebecca, that she went down and she married Isaac. And there's a lot of wealth. And if we're going to learn anything about Laban is that he's all about money. And so he goes running back, and he gets Jacob, and he brings him back, and he says, stay, stay a while, have a meal, stay with us. And so Jacob stays, and he stays, and he stays. And about a month goes by, and so Jacob's, he's actually a pretty productive kind of guy. He's pretty energetic, and he's been helping out with the flocks. And uh, after about a month, um, Laban says to Jacob, well, he says, it's not so great that you're here and you're just living here. I should be paying you like my other servants. He's not really treating him like family. And he says, I need to pay you. And But Jacob, he's a wheeler dealer. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, hourly money isn't really my thing. So he says, I'd rather that you made a deal with me. Because, of course, he's fallen in love with Rachel. Rachel has a sister. And Rachel's beautiful and shapely and lovely of face, it says. But Leah, not so much. Leah's the older one, but she's not so pretty. And, of course, Jacob, man of the flesh, has fallen in love with Rachel. And so he wants to marry Rachel. So he says to Laban, her father, well you know, I'll stay. Actually, I'll work for you for seven years. Like, he must think a lot of Rachel. I'll work for you for seven years if you let me marry Rachel. And Laban goes, well, you know, maybe this is a good deal. So he says, okay, I'll make that deal. And so Jacob stays for seven years. And the plan is to marry Rachel for seven years. He works hard. And finally, to the day, to the hour, he goes, bing, seven years are up. He says, Laban, time to pay up. I get to marry Rachel now. So Laban makes this big wedding feast, and they have a great big party, and they do it like the families do it, where you have the big party first, and then the couple, you know, they... um, they're all veiled and everything, and they exchange the vows, and then they go off in a tent, and you know what they do. Well, everybody else keeps partying, and so that's what's happening. And uh, now, you know, 
Jacob could be a little bit more with it here, but I'm guessing he must have had a little bit too much party because he goes off and it turns out, you know, Laban, the, the, the cheater, the conniver, has connived on the other cheater, Jacob, because Jacob has this in his blood too. And so it's that old bait and switch routine where he says, yeah, yeah, I'll give you Rachel. But of course, the next morning, Jacob wakes up beside this woman and it ain't Rachel, it's Leah. And he has a big meltdown. And it's interesting, Leah never said anything. And it's also interesting that Rachel's not pulling out the tent saying, wait a minute. So something happened in the family that we don't know of, but they're not happy. Nobody's happy, except for, of course, Laban. And so Jacob, he goes stomping off to Laban. He says, what have you done? I made a deal with you. Seven years I was going to work for Rachel, and I worked those seven years. I did my part of the bargain, which is always how Jacob thinks, but you haven't done yours. And now, what's with this Leah thing? And Laban says, you know, seven years they've been living together. And he says, oh, well, you know, we don't do things that way around here. We always marry the oldest first. But you can have the younger one. You can have Rachel, too, if you want her. But you're going to have to work for me another seven years to get Rachel. Oh, Jacob was completely taken in by Laban. Like Laban, like to out-cheat a cheater ain't easy. And he didn't do it. And so Jacob works another seven years for Laban. And after those 14 years of working for Laban, he wants to leave. And Laban says, oh, no, no, stay, stay. It's always stay, stay, don't go. If you remember Eliezer, the same thing happened to him. When he came up to find Rebekah, which, you know, he was looking for a wife for Isaac, the same thing happened to him. Laban kept saying, oh, stay, stay. And Eliezer said, no, I've got to go back. But Jacob doesn't do that. He stays, stays. And it's to his detriment. But God is faithful. And this is something that Jacob doesn't really get. So Jacob is conniving, he's scheming, he's dealing, and he's always trying to figure out things. And so instead of just trusting God like Eliezer did when he went up to find Rebekah for Abraham, instead he keeps figuring it out himself. And you know what? A lot of us have that problem where we try and scheme and figure things out and we wheel and we deal and we don't learn how to just trust the Lord. But the Lord isn't finished with Jacob and he's teaching him. He's calling him. He's beckoning him to learn how to trust him. And so we see that Jacob now is really in a situation And he has these 14 years behind him. He's got these two wives and struggle, struggle, struggle. Everything's a struggle. He struggles with Laban. The wives struggle with each other. And on top of that, Laban gives her two handmaids to them, Bilhah and Zilpah. And like now he's got four women, and they're all struggling. And it's like quite the event at home all the time when he goes home at the end of the day, and they're all kind of at each other's throat. However, 
he says to Laban, you know, I need to get going. And Laban says, no, no, stay. He says, you know, you can have, let, let's work out an arrangement. And so Jacob and Laban work out this arrangement. They get, you know, all these different kinds. He's going to separate them out. And I'm not going to go into detail on that because I think it's like a weird story. Not really. It's because I don't have time. Um, they have these sticks, and he's going to put these sticks out, and they're going to have the kind of flock that is spotted and speckled, and then Jacob gets to keep those, but the other ones Laban keeps. And, of course, we know it's not the sticks that's causing these um, sheep to keep having speckled and striped uh, you know, babies, lambs. It's God. God is blessing Jacob. And so God is causing all this to happen. And so we see that, you know, Jacob is getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. Well, the sons of Laban don't like this because, you know, they're kind of separated out by about three days' journey, and they don't like this at all. And they see, you know, Jacob's just, he's just getting really wealthy, and there's something he's doing that's weird because he's getting all the sheep. And they complain to their dad, and there's struggle between Jacob and the brothers. There's struggle between Jacob and Laban. There's trouble at home because he's now in the middle of having children, and that's always easy. Now he, um, you know, they have, Leah has all the children. Rachel doesn't have any, so Leah has four boys. She has Reuben, and then she, right after that, comes Simeon, and then Levi, and then Judah, and Rachel still is barren, and Rachel's so unhappy, and she blames Jacob, and Jacob says, am I God? Like, I'm not the one who's causing this. And so there's struggle between Rachel and Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah and oh, Lee. And then they've got their kids and their kids are struggling against each other. And, um, you know, because now Zilpah comes along and she has kids for Leah and, and Rachel uses Bilhah, her maiden, to have kids. And we've got 10 boys and it's a crazy household. But six years are going by, and finally, God opens the womb of Rachel, it says. And she has a boy, and they name him Joseph. And, of course, the story of Joseph is an amazing story. Should we do that one now? No, better not. So they have Joseph. And now we have 11 boys, and then Leah also has a daughter, Dinah. So we've got 12 kids. Um, Benjamin's not born yet. He comes later. So they have 12 kids, and finally Jacob says, we're leaving, we're leaving. And so he says to his wives, and I, I have a feeling because of what they say that they didn't really want to leave originally. They kind of wanted to stay there with their dad and what they knew and all their friends and so on and so forth. But this time when he says to them, you know, we got to go, wives, we can't be staying here. And it's difficult, I'm struggling with your dad, I'm struggling with your brothers, and I want to go back to my own family. And, you know, that's where, I'm that's where I'm supposed to be. And the wives say to him, Rachel and Leah say to him, well, you know, our dad hasn't been really fair to you, because now this is their family. And they say, you know, dad really hasn't been very fair to you, and we need to kind of take care of our own kids now. So we're going to go along with you on this one and you know really dad used up the dowry like you worked for him for 14 years and now you've worked an additional six years for him so it's been 20 years and yeah we're ready to go and so 
Jacob says, okay, well, I can't just leave in the middle of the day. Your dad will know, and it'll be, you know, all out to battle here. So we're going to sneak out in the middle of the night. And so they get the kids all ready. It's sort of like the Von Trapp family leaving when the Nazis come into Austria. And so they kind of sneak out in the middle of the night. You know, here goes Jacob and then Leah and then Rachel and then the handmaidens and then all the children. And they kind of sneak away and they get about a three days journey away before Jacob sees over the horizon, "Uh uh-oh, I see Laban coming. And so Laban's coming up over the hills and not by himself, all boys they're coming with him and all the other men and Laban's not happy and so he catches up to Jacob who has all these little kids he catches up to Jacob and he says to Jacob what are you doing where do you think you're going this is all my stuff you've got all my children you've got all my daughters you've got all my grandchildren they're mine those are my children they're not yours that's all mine you got my stuff you got all my flocks and Jacob says hang on hang on what are you saying and Laban says this is all my stuff and Jacob says look for 20 years I worked for you you made a deal with me you didn't keep it so now what are we going to do about this this is not going to happen that I'm going back. I refuse to go back there. And so then Laban takes a different tact. And he says, well, he says, you stole my household idols because he had a cabinet where he kept all these little statues, and that was his gods. And uh, Rachel actually did steal them. I have no idea why she would do this other than one-upmanship on her dad. So she stole them all, and, uh, but not, nobody knew that. And certainly Jacob didn't know that. And because Jacob was not an idolater, he didn't worship those gods. He believed in the Lord God Almighty, even though he wasn't close to God, he believed in God. And he didn't worship the false gods of his father in law, Laban. But Laban says, You took all of my gods, and that's how he did all of his divining and, you know, all of his dark arts with these god statues that he had and he says i want them back and jacob goes there's no way i would have taken those and nobody wants them so nobody took those like you're crazy nobody has those and laban says well let me search then and jacob says feel free because in his mind he's thinking we don't have them But actually, Rachel did. And he says, yeah, go ahead. And if you find them, I'll put whoever has them to death. You know, vows are just a really bad idea. (laughs) We see that many times in Scripture. And it is going to get him in trouble. But God is merciful to Jacob. So... Laban starts searching, searches the tent of Leah, they're not there, and he, they all, all the women have their own tents, and um, so he searches, you know, all the other tents that are with them, the kids, he searches, he searches all the pack animals, there's nothing there, and, you know, all Jacob's stuff, and he gets to Rachel's tent, which is where they are, and Rachel came up with this great idea, and she sticks them in the, she stuck them all in the saddlebag of her camel, And then she made a heap and put the blankets over that. And then she sat on top of all of the blankets. And her dad came in. And her dad says, I'm looking for those statues. What happened to them? Do you have my gods? 
And Rachel goes, oh, no, they're not here. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, he says, well, get up. I want to see. I'm in search of everything. She says, oh, Dad, you know, I'm in the way of women. I can't stand up. And back in their culture, they were, you know, relegated to the tent for seven days when it was their, their time of the month. And so um, she said, I, I can't get up, Dad. You, you understand. And he goes, oh, don't talk about that. All right, that's fine. You can stay there. And so she gets to sit on top of all these idols, which she shouldn't have had in the first place. And Laban, he's satisfied that they're not there. So he comes out and he says, well, he says, I'm pretty angry and you're angry with me and we're both really strong and we're going to have a battle. And so Laban says to Jacob, let's make a covenant. And uh, he says, you know, I want to have a covenant. I'm actually not so super comfortable with you. God has blessed you. You seem to have a lot of stuff. And that's really why Laban wanted Jacob back was because Laban did so well when Jacob was in charge. And so he wants him back. But he now he realizes that's not going to happen. And so he wants a deal. He wants a covenant where they will agree not to hurt each other. And uh, Jacob actually is afraid of Laban because he says that even to Laban. When Laban caught up with him, he says, why? You know, Laban says, why did you leave in the middle of the night? Jacob said, because I was afraid of you. And so Jacob is, he's dealing with fear too, even though God is with Jacob. And God made all these promises to Jacob. Jacob is not living in the promises of God. Now think, could that be you? God has made all these promises to you. Is it possible that maybe you're not living in the promises of God? You're not trusting God? We see, you know, the things around us. It's not just that the COVID-19 is a threat to us. The economy now is a threat to us and all kinds of other things. There's all kinds of threats and there's all kinds of labans in this world. And the question is, can you trust God to keep you through all circumstances? And Jacob has some hard lessons to learn. And so the two of them, Jacob and Laban, make a covenant. And they set up these stone pillars. And they call on God to watch over them. Jacob calls on God to watch over the covenant. And so God is the watchtower of covenant. It's God who is the witness of all things. Because they're going to go off their separate ways. Laban's going to go back up north. Jacob's going to go south. They're not going to know what each other does. They can, like, it's not like they have satellite vision or anything. So they don't know what each other's doing. And they're calling on God to be the mitzpah, to be the watchtower, to watch over the covenant that they both will keep their end of the bargain. And so they have a covenant meal together. And the next day, Laban goes back up north, and Jacob heads south. And he heads south now to another big problem. Wherever Jacob goes, he seems to have trouble. And towards the end of his life, he even says that. He says, I've had such a troubled life. And he's going to now have to meet Esau. Remember, when he fled, Esau was ready to kill him. And yes, it's 20 years later, but there are no telephones, and there's been no communication. And as far as he knows, as soon as he comes back on the picture, Esau will kill him. And so Jacob is afraid, and God 
gives him a dream. And he says, don't fear, Jacob. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And he says, remember, I am the God of Bethel. Bethel was the name of that first stone pillar that he made and you know, made an altar to the Lord. And he called it Bethel, which means the house of God. And he says, I am the God of Bethel. And I, I love that about the Lord, because when Jacob did that, when he called the place Bethel, he said, it's, it's over here at this place where God is. And he didn't really understand how God was with him everywhere he went. And so when God said to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, what he was doing is he was reminding Jacob of the little bit of relationship that Jacob had acknowledged with God already. And God said, you know, it's vast. I've given you the whole Abrahamic promise. But we can just talk about Bethel if that's where you're at. And so he says, remember, Bethel, I'm that God. I will keep you. These 20 years it's been, and now you're coming back, and I have kept you. And he says, do not fear. Fear is a huge enemy for the believer. God has called us to be people of faith. Abraham is our example of faith. We never use Jacob as our example of a man of faith. It's always Abraham. And yet God is still faithful to Jacob in spite of what Jacob has been like. And so God says, do not fear. And so Jacob is, is encouraged by God, and he's seen God again. He's had this dream. You know, God had protected him from Laban, because Laban was ready to kill him, but God had actually appeared to Laban in a dream as well and said, don't kill Jacob, because I've blessed Jacob. So Laban actually had a direct warning from God. And so that's why he didn't sort of, you know, do Jacob in or drag him back is because actually he had some fear in him. And so we see these covenants of fear between Jacob and Laban, like their covenant is based on fear. They're afraid of what each other will do. And we see it contrasted with the covenant of God, which is based on love. It wasn't Jacob's performance because he was a poor performer when it comes to faith. It was about God's great love. And you know what? God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. He cares about us. How do we know that? It's demonstrated in his son, Jesus. And the Lord does care. But he says, you know, I want relationship with you. It's not just that, you know, God loves us and so we're, you know, happy and we just carry on our life. God says, I actually want relationship with you. I don't want you to be socially distant from me like Jacob was for so many years, acknowledging, yeah, there is a God, but not having any intimacy really with God by choice. God says, that's not the kind of relationship I want. And even a handshake where we just, you know, well, I, I'm good. I'll tithe, you know, I'll come to church. I'll, I'll do the things that are expected of me. I'll try and be a good neighbor. And, um, you know, I'll try and be a good person. I'll have a handshake relationship with God because I know that's the kind of person God likes. And God says, nah, that's not what I want. I don't want that either. He says, I want the kind of relationship that when you come and you talk to me in prayer, that we embrace each other, that you love me and you are fully aware of how much I love you. 
And when we talk together, that it be intimate conversation. You tell me everything that's on your mind, and I'm going to tell you a lot that's on my mind. And God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, who he gives to those who follow after him. And he teaches us about himself. And we can have that close and loving relationship, that one that Jacob really missed out on for many, many, many years. He could have had it, but he depended on himself. And it all boils down to learning to have that life of faith, to trust God, to trust that he loves, to trust that he cares, and to trust that he will make our pathway straight before us. So I hope that that's been helpful to you as we've thought about Jacob. And the next time we talk about this covenant, we're going to see what happens between him and his brother Esau. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and how faithful you are in preserving your word over these many, many years that we might have it and learn about this ancient family that are really no different than us today. Some cultural differences, but really they're people just like us. And for sure, we have troubles in our families. We have troubles with our friends, with our neighbors, and we even have a social distance with you. We believe, but we don't really embrace and so Lord I pray that you would help each one of us individually to learn how to have that relationship where we are embraced by you and you by us we pray in Jesus name amen